Welcome to Rethink Reality, a podcast for creatives to learn, adapt, and future-proof themselves for the XR revolution. Tech guru Don Allen III has conversations with innovative players in the AR, VR, and XR space. Develop your knowledge with expert advice and get ready to rethink reality. Hello and welcome to Rethink Reality. My guest today leads Facebook's AR content business development and partnerships program focused on growing the mobile AR ecosystem surrounding the Facebook family of apps and advancing the ecosystem towards new device form factors. Prior to joining the partnerships organization at Facebook, Chris was one of the founding members of the company's creative shop, which has grown into an industry-leading creative and strategic resource for top-tier marketeers. His experience with AR goes back a decade to his tenure leading global digital marketing for Adidas. Surrounding and supporting work, Chris is an artist, a poet, and a practitioner of Zen Buddhism. So welcome to the podcast, Chris. Hey, Don. Thanks for having me. You've spent a decade working in augmented reality, and I wanted to know, why have you spent a decade working in AR? Technically, almost 15 years, but who's counting? Man, it's a big question, and to do it justice, it's probably worth noting a few things about my background. First, I've always been fascinated by the human story. From as far back as I can remember, I found a lot of joy and you know, just motivation in thinking about questions like, who are we? Where did we come from? And where are we going? So I was obsessed with soaking in as much like historical information about the past as possible. Yeah. Uh, What I learned in books and magazines, shout out to National Geographic. By the time I was in middle school, I had a pretty basic, uh, albeit, but solid understanding of how we evolved as a species and used our big brains to establish societies and spread culture. As a kid, I immersed myself in thinking about the world of the future, space exploration and science fiction representing kind of the envelopes edge of human discovery. I wouldn't be a good 70s baby if I didn't note like the profound impact that the original Star Wars trilogy had had on my life. What I've come to realize now is that this dual interest in the past and the future has not only stayed with me, but it, it has been the through line in my life. As an undergrad, I was fortunate enough to study in the anthropology department at Columbia, which is pretty Pretty, pretty esteemed. Specifically, my studies focused on sociocultural anthropology, how we communicate and collaborate in, in societies through culture. Oh my God. Um, yeah. Uh, and, you know, while the practical application of, of that study towards, you know, in any non academic career wasn't really apparent, particularly to like my parents. Um, Having a curiosity and understanding about how humans communicate and experience the world really did prove to be foundational for my chosen career path as a marketer. I learned pretty early on while cutting my teeth marketing in the music industry that capturing people's attention and motivating their actions towards an outcome, like buying a CD, was about the most fundamental of human capabilities storytelling you know the way that we use words and images to change beliefs and inspire action in kind of this in this commercial realm is precisely the way that we use them to motivate participation in all aspects of human society you know from the days of campfires and cave walls human behavior and human human culture and society in relation to the marketing of products goods 
And um, I, I also learned that the ability to market one type of good or service is not necessarily dependent on your expertise with that type of good or service, and that the underlying skills and best practices of marketing were applicable, you know, no matter what the nature of the product uh, being offered uh, is. That really was when I first began to experience, my, it's when my experience with technology first began. Literally almost overnight, the music business changed in every way imaginable with the advent of digital music. Getting the right message to the right people at the right place and time had entirely new meaning in a world without record stores and um, with the internet. Huge difference. I mean, oh right? my goodness. Yeah, I mean, it, it was, in, and it happened so fast, like literally overnight. One, one aspect of this change is it afforded me the opportunity to broaden my scope uh, uh, thinking about marketing and applying what I understood to, you know, beyond music and towards other types of products and using new types of tools that were just emerging. I went into the agency world doing uh, creative strategy work for, for a whole variety of brands. A big chunk of that time I spent at a place in uh, New York called Cornerstone. Um, Cornerstone was one of the first lifestyle marketing agencies um, it, it, they were it, uh, we were being hired uh, to help brands reach the, the kind of increasingly influential and and you know valuable youth market uh, through non-traditional increasingly digital tactics um, and you know, we did a lot of really cool stuff. Um, I'm, I'm slightly dating myself with all of this, but I think that that's, that's important context because it illustrates how quickly these things have happened. Um, but some of the more interesting things we were working on at Cornerstone, largely in the space of what, what would now be described as branded content, were at the intersection of artists, brands, and content. Like, you know, helping Nike launch a record label and getting nominated for a Grammy uh, and putting right. out music with LCD sound system. You know, I mean, that that kind of stuff was groundbreaking at the time at this intersection uh, where and technology being the facilitator. And that was like 15 years ago. That's so uh, recent. <laughs> it's so, so recent. So recent. Right. Yes. Um, and, and yet it, it also feels like like ancient history because so much has happened since then. I mean, it's like. It's so commonplace now to think about a brand as being the proprietor and offerer of content in addition to their products, right? But like that, that right. wasn't the way it was at the time. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so, so it, was, it was a really interesting moment and, and this kind of attention and focus on younger demographics of consumers who not only had a lot of buying power, but really driving a driving force in culture. So tapping into that through, I mean, this is why, you know, uh, LCD sound system made a lot of sense, you mm -hmm. know, to, to be the, the initial, uh, you know, single on Nike's label, because uh, that's, that's music that appealed to, uh, to this audience in a very authentic way. And whatever it was, was strong enough that um, we started to get some attention in trade press and, uh, and, and a little bit of visibility for the work. Uh, mm -hmm. And out of that, I was offered the job that changed my life. I joined Adidas, Adidas to, um, to help the brand start a new brand marketing function called, wait for it, 
digital marketing. Whoa. Um, oh. <laughs> right? So, <laughs> mm-hmm. so I moved to Amsterdam to do that. Um, and, and Don, when I tell you, I mean, this was literally the beginning of big, meaningful brands starting to care about and invest in reaching people through digital channels and means. Wow. It was, it was the beginning of that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I had the opportunity to join uh, the team to, that was inventing that for for Adidas. It was really incredible. It was also an opportunity to live abroad and and experience uh, the world a bit more. My team's mandate was to tell brand stories on all of the screens other than the TV. And Whoa, you know, we- <laughs> that's a fundamentally different way of thinking because before it's like right. there's no money in anything that's not a TV screen. So you have to like make these humongous justifications yes. to say, you know what, there's there's marketing opportunities that aren't on a TV and they must look at you like, what are you talking about? That, that's that's right. And and at that time they were all unproven still, largely. Oh, I mean wow. there was this there was this scent of opportunity there. But, you know, but, but, you mm-hmm. know, these, these things were brand new. I mean, we're, we're firmly in the desktop era, first of all, in, in, okay. in the time timeline I'm, I'm describing. Um, and so, I mean, you know, s- cell phones, mobile phones were, were starting to, 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 you know, circulate at more scale, but, mm-hmm. um, Largely, you know, we were thinking about computers, at least initially, uh, right. you know, desktop computers. Wow, that's amazing. I can't imagine the kind of conversations you'd have to have to explain why there is even a potential in this thing called the computer. Hmm. How do you convince a brand in this time, like when we're in the desktop era, how do you convince a brand that there's even any money to market worth on non-TV screens? A lot of hard work. I mean, computers enabled people to have access to communication platforms that were becoming increasingly essential in in our lives, like Facebook and Twitter, and uh, you know, the social era was just kind of starting to blossom in in the background and. Mm-hmm. We, we had a fundamental belief that the best way to reach people with a marketing message is where they are spending their time in the most authentic way. That was increasingly looking like it was going to happen on, on these social channels. So a lot of our work was focused on uh, creating uh, a, a view and an understanding of the opportunity long term that uh, reaching people in in these these connected networks was was going to be transformational uh, for the brand and so so a lot of our attention went in, went into testing and proving that the the other thing though that we were focused on was computers and and you know these screens other than than the uh, the television mm-hmm. have have a lot of horsepower behind them. They can do computations and perform tasks that really transform how we exist and and interact as as humans. And so, tapping into that compute power was also something that uh, that that I had you know my team focused on and so mm. our our cmo the brand cmo at the time this is when i first encountered augmented reality 
the brand's CMO at the time, uh, Herman Deininger, promoted a philosophy of what he called commercial brand marketing. Um, and, and essentially it was, you know, using your touch points with consumers to not only get them to make a purchase or, or to get them to, you know, make a purchase, but to do so in a way that deepens their emotional relationship with the brand. So he encouraged us all within brand marketing to be thinking about that, this intersection of, of commercial and brand marketing and these moments that, that um, enable you to, to hit, hit both of those um, opportunities. And so for me and, and the team, we really took that to heart and, and started thinking about how technology could enable deeper emotional relationships through commercial experiences, you know, experiences with products. Right. And what better way to do that than, you know, literally with the product itself. Um, so we cooked up yeah. a project um, with, uh, with, with a bunch of designers and product marketing folks mm -hmm. um, to design and produce a pack of shoes that when recognized by a camera, each would come to life and unfold a 3D interactive experience in front of you. Whoa, what year and, was this? This is incredible. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so this is uh, like 2008, maybe. Nine, wow, this is so ahead of the time. When we started working on that. So, so it's uh, 2008, and the goal was to make a pack of shoes that when a camera detected them, it would uh, it would launch a 3D experience about the shoes. That that's that's precisely right. Not just about the shoes, because again, this is and this is where the the brand marketing side of this comes in, right? Right. It is it was an interactive brand experience. So it it, 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 it happened to be um, part of uh, part of it was I think a number of the shoes had games um, and. Uh, and, and kind of an interactive environment. And your, and your shoe became the controller for this game. So imagine you're sitting in front of your webcam, because this is, again, pre-mobile. Yes. All this was happening in, in front of, of your desktop webcam. Yes. Um, but, you, you know, imagine you're there and you're actually holding this awesome Adidas shoe. And it is your controller in a video game that is you know, semi-immersive in 3D playing out on the screen in front of you. We had a deal with, uh, with Star Wars and Lucasfilm at the time, so we had access to uh, Star Wars content. So one of the games you could play was, was battling TIE fighters um, with your shoe. I mean, oh my it was, goodness. It was incredible. So you're holding um, the, the user's holding the shoe, and then the, right. the shoe's being detected by a webcam. On the desktop, they're able to kind of fly a spacecraft and they're that's, steering it with their shoe. That's precisely right. And there, and, and through, I can't recall what the gesture was or the mechanism, but there was a way that you could actually shoot lasers as well back at at the Tie Fighters. So uh, wow. it was it was it was pretty incredible. There were other experiences that that were not games that were like in, in entertainment experiences. So we of course mm -hmm. had had a number of of influential celebrity partners of the brand. At that time, uh, this was the beginning of the the brand's Adidas relationship with Snoop, and. Uh, 
we had Snoop come in and film this whole sequence that was then incorporated and rendered in this 3D environment. So um, it was it was pretty awesome stuff. That was when I first caught the bug for augmented reality and began to develop a point of view that this is this is likely the, the, the next wave. What it represented was a transition to participatory marketing, where uh, you, you know the the delivery of the message involves you and your your presence and your your uh, interaction with the content still to this day um, remains to be a big part of what attracts me to this space when I'm ha- put on my marketer hat mm-hmm. uh, this notion that I can add dimensional storytelling to my products is is kind of next level you know those experiences can change relative to the context in which i'm experiencing the product right like it kind of doesn't get better than that and and so i'm i'm very very excited about um, what what the future holds for marketers and and the opportunities that'll that'll start to to become more apparent we're going to get into the future in a bit, but I want to, I just have a few more questions about this, like this transition. Cause, um, sure. so going from like, you know, before, before what we have, this is, um, you said participatory marketing before this, people were kind of passively consuming, right? Like That's if right. a brand wanted to advertise to a target consumer, they're going to show something to them. And then the, hopefully the user passively consumes it enough to be interested in investing in the brand. Versus the, this transition that you started seeing that got you the bug for augmented reality was seeing that now it's not so much about how do you just put a message in front of the audience. How does the audience participate with your message and impact their emotional state based off of that participation? Precisely, Don. And, you know, there, there are kind of two aspects of it, right? Like, mm-hmm. And you, you, you described both. By enabling people to have... Uh, an experience with your brand anytime, with your brand and your products, anytime, anywhere. By definition, it is, is a, represents a, a tremendous deepening of, uh, or an, at least an opportunity for the deepening of your relationship because you're now, you now have the ability to have uh, both your brand, again, and your products with people wherever they are and and whatever they're doing if if in a virtual uh version and and so i think that's that's a big part of uh of 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 this opportunity um and then the other is dimensionality uh i like to think about augmented reality in that way opportunity to take something in the real world and create an an almost infinite number of versions of that thing so seeing the transition in marketing from marketers being a passive consumption to being one that's more participatory and interactive that's kind of what got you interested in ar was this the dimensionality and the the participatory experience so it's no longer just a passive consumption of this story yeah that's 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 precisely it don and i think that's where the emotional depth comes from the fact that the information about the product and or the product itself right is is freed to uh, 
be experienced anywhere and at any time by by the consumer. You no longer need to be local to a store or a billboard or wherever there might be touch points with a brand because uh, th- those experiences can be brought into your home in in a very rich and and immersive way. That's transcending space and time when it comes to marketing. You don't have to be any particular location and you don't have to be at a certain time to get the message across. You, you nailed it, man. That's precisely right. We are quite literally starting to understand the nature of reality in large part because we're rebuilding the nature of reality. Whoa, and- I love that line <laughs> so much. You're saying we- we're we're starting to understand reality by trying to rebuild the nature of reality? That's that's right. I would edit in slightly by removing the trying. We are rebuilding reality and through that process and and other related things like advancements in physics and 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 you know whole whole other realms that I don't know if we'll have time to get into, but um, we are beginning to understand the true nature of reality, big R reality. Um, so it's it's an exciting time. That's another reason that I'm I'm incredibly passionate about augmented reality. I noticed that you are a practitioner of Zen Buddhism. And I was wondering if your practice in Zen Buddhism relates to any of your interest with augmented reality. So I think I think probably an important starting point uh, in in answering that is uh, a little bit on ha- how I got to Zen. Okay. Uh, I've experienced depression in in some way uh, for the majority of my life, and at different points in my life, you know the the means and mechanisms I had to manage that, of course, have been have been different. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for anyone who's who's uh, had mental health challenges, uh, you know, uh, as as likely they would attest, um, you feel like you you're always looking for the thing that is going to give you the most relief. Uh, you know, so after many years in, in trying to find healing from my suffering, a theme started to kind of emerge, which was meditation, the practice of sitting and being um, is beneficial for the brain, mind, mood, etc, body. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that you know that that was just kind of that was becoming more and more talked about. And I didn't have a ton of direct experience with, with meditation, uh, but I was, I was uh, interested and I was interested because this is the the second factor uh, that that brought me to Zen was interested because as, as we talked about earlier, I've always been fascinated by the human story and, you know, that our history and, and what we have learned about our future, um, from our, from our, our past. And so, you know, I've, I've naturally have been drawn to the more ancient traditions and, and, and had an interest in that. So, um, even, even at Columbia, I, I took a number of Buddhism courses, you know, uh, studied with pr- uh, Professor Robert Thurman, uh, who, who's a, a, a really um, 
important practitioner and teacher. Um, uh, and, you know, it was because I was intellectually uh, interested and stimulated by uh, hmm. by what these these traditions had to say. The the relationship, at least at that time, the relationship between you know what these traditions had to say and the act of meditation was was kind of separate for me. You know, again, I, I didn't I didn't really have a, a point of view on meditation. So it took until you know uh, uh, in, into into adulthood. Uh, firmly um, for me to start to piece together that this thing that I have an intellectual and and what I would describe as spiritual affinity towards mm-hmm. um, is is also about this this tool that people are saying can be really beneficial for your your health your your mental health hundred percent so yeah. Uh, you know, how and where do those two things come together? And, um, and, and that emerged as Zen for, for me. Uh, one of the, the things about Zen that, that has always been appealing to me is Zen was kind of the first form of Buddhism that established firm roots in the West. So if you, oh. if you imagine kind of, you know, and it, look, this is this is just me talking, right? But mm-hmm. but again, it's part of the appeal is that uh, you know Zen Zen or I should say Buddhism and and specifically um, uh, seated meditation came from India and went to China and and there was a tradition of of Chan uh, Buddhism in in China which like Zen means seated meditation mm-hmm. and from China this. Uh, these tr- this this practice uh, uh, migrated to Japan, uh, largely uh, uh, through the work of uh, a great philosopher and teacher uh, named named Dogen, uh, who I strongly encourage folks to uh, do some research in, on and, and reading about. Um, and you know he he and others helped uh, this tradition spread in in Japan. Um, and so, and, and then, and then, you know, in, in the modern or in, in the last, uh, you know, 50 plus years mm-hmm. so going, going back to the end of the second world war, um, Zen began to be imported, if you will, or, or crossed the great divide between East and West and, and came to North America. Uh, another Columbia plug. A lot of that activity happened at Columbia because there was, oh. uh, yeah, there's there's a uh, a teacher and, and Zen practitioner uh, named D.T. Suzuki who was doing a series of guest lectures at Columbia during the same time that uh, uh, the Beats, you know, Kerouac, uh, Ginsburg, etc., were active on the Columbia campus as, as students and, uh, uh, you know, uh, friends of students. <laughs> and so uh, it was that, that was the beginning of the beat generation. And, and a lot of the voice of the beat experience, the poetry and, and, and the classics uh, in, in, in all art forms uh, were largely inspired by these lectures from D.T. Suzuki. 
So that, that was one way that Zen came into America. And of course, there, there were others. Um, but that notion mm-hmm. that it is kind of the, 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 the leading edge, if you will, if, if, I, if I may be so, um, uh, I, I, I don't want to cast this as, as um, uh, you know, all, all forms of Buddhism spreading are equally, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, amazing. But there's, sure. there's something appealing for me in uh, this notion that Zen is kind of riding the edge uh, uh, from a historical standpoint in bringing Buddhism to the rest of the world. Uh, it's kind of the, you know, it's the, it's, ah, it's, it's the bridge, it's kind of the, the bridge, the, the, the lead runner. Right. And so, uh, that's, that's something that's really, really appealing, uh, for me. So yeah, all of that as context for, for how I got to Zen. Once I got to Zen, what I found was that, uh, first of all, Zen is very much focused on direct experience of the way things are. And, uh, and that direct experience happens not exclusively, but, but in a, in a profound, uh, potentially, um, way in seated meditation and mm-hmm. um you know so uh, far be it from me to 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 describe all that goes on for for someone in in meditation but i'll speak from my my personal experience yeah one of the things that has uh been cultivated in me through through a meditation practice is frankly the interconnectedness of of all things. I want to be even even more more precise about that. Sure. Um, what does interconnectedness mean to you? One of the the things that uh, can go on for me in in meditation, uh, sitting still, allowing my thoughts to do what thoughts do, as my mind and body settle. There's a phrase that, that Dogen used, uh, uh, I believe it was in the Shobogenzo, which is one of, one of his, his vasicles or writings. Um, let me confirm that before we include it. <laughs> uh, sure. <laughs> but <laughs> um, but it, there's a phrase that he, use, uh, he uses that uh, is, uh, body and mind will drop away. It expresses for me uh, very much the feeling that can happen in meditation uh, where my orientation to the world uh, based on my body and my mind Mm -hmm. starts to become quieter. Yes. As those two things become more quiet and dissolve, if you will, to visualize it a little bit, immediately there's an awareness that, oh, there actually aren't any boundaries or barriers between, quote unquote, me and those things, you know, the things all around me. Uh, You know, my body is not a barrier and my mind is not a barrier. My mind actually exists in this web of mind it's it's not the notion mm-hmm. that it's mine is 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 false to begin with right right and, and and you know i i always on that point i i like to urge people to consider where they they learned how to 
speak from, to talk, you know, to use language mm-hmm. like that. That's not an, an individual activity. That is a language belongs to the shared space, our shared mind. In that experience of body and mind dropping away or, you know, the dissolving of, of a sense of boundaries between me and all things, ultimately, mm-hmm. immediately <laughs> you start to have questions about the nature of reality, right? Like, you know, not only kind of uh, spiritually is there no boundary between between me and everything, but... Actually, physically, there is no boundary between me and and other things. Um, And, you know, we we, you know, parallel to this this deepening of my uh, uh, relationship with Zen has been uh, this, you know, the story that I I described earlier of this process of getting closer and closer to augmented reality and and uh, immersive uh, experiences that question the nature of reality and so um, those two things are are definitely uh, on a on a path together I I don't know where they go I I feel and believe that they are increasingly converging in, in, in how I think about the world. I think we're at a very exciting time for the species. Um, if, if, if I may be so bold, I think we. I'm with you starting, on that, hundred percent. Right? <laughs> yeah, you're you're speaking to the choir right now. <laughs> I, I I I know that, man. Uh, um, you know, yeah, it's 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 an incredibly uh, powerful and important time for the species, at which we will during which we will be forced to confront questions about the nature of the universe, what it is how it operates, what our place in it is. We haven't previously had to had to confront those things, you know. Right. And and so a lot of that I believe is 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 driven um by, you know, some of this, you know, cross-pollination if you will of spiritual beliefs that that we talked about or migration, etc. um mm. and and the influence that that's had in in kind of Western quote unquote society, um, but uh, I mean clearly the vast majority of of it is is the science and and the advancements that that we are making in understanding first the 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 quantum nature of reality, mm-hmm. um, and then and then all that has come from that. Um, in relation to black holes and, uh, you know, our, our fundamental increasingly diminishing confidence in, in space-time, uh, you know, a, a, as a substrate. So, right. anyway, um, there's, a lot, there's a lot there. <laughs> I'm happy, yeah, yeah. Uh, feel free to follow up on any of that. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I follow a lot of quantum mechanics, as I know we've had like some conversations about it briefly before, and just like the double slit experiment by itself is enough for me to question a lot about what is reality and how the conscious observer seems to kind of create reality as they observe That's it. Right. That's right. And and I feel like every day I'm finding more and more evidence of the quantum uh, realm being present. I think just last month they just had a 
they put the largest amount of mo they put a, they put a couple of molecules into a quantum state for the first time successfully. So like this is not just a quantum particle. This is a molecule, and they were able to create some superposition with it. And that, I mean, that's that's happened. That's like, incredible. We're living in a time where they're actually because that's like that's matter. You know, that's a very yes. large piece yes. of matter. Because <laughs> people can like argue all they want about electrons and you know and the and then the sure. even the you know the stronger nuclear force, weak nuclear force. But we all have a pretty good agreement that molecules are real, <laughs> and we they're, we they're, use they're them a lot. <laughs> That's yeah, right. yeah, we can hold them. In a, you know, we can we can look at them in a in a microscope. So yes. when we're saying it, something that you can see physically can also exhibit this superposition Quantum behavior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that changes. I mean, for me, that's just more of that evidence. Kind of what you're saying of being forced to confront questions about the universe in our lifetime. This is happening right now. That's precisely right, Don. That's 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 all it. I and. Uh, you know that that is that's the time that we're living in and and at the same time that all of that is happening mm -hmm. in physics we are inventing worlds and you know and <laughs> and and, and right. you know it it can't be lost on us that the activity of inventing worlds can tell us a lot about how a world is invented Right. And I mean, the proceduralism of yes. worlds. Yes. I think, yes. Uh, I mean, you probably see a lot of it with the kind of tools that go into these technologies. But when it comes to proceduralism, um, have you ever heard of the program Houdini by a company called SideFX? Sure. Yeah. yeah, sure thing. So, like, I, I started using Houdini. I'm, I've been teaching some classes for it at work. And I, I started using it a lot. And I noticed that you can recreate a lot of things that happen in reality through <laughs> through this <laughs> through this tool and I was able to like make a mountain range that had proper erosion over like a certain time period and I looked at the image that it generated and I'm like oh my god is this is that what erosion that's, that's is incredible. is it like a procedure that at a large scale will carve out these beautiful structures and mountains but I can I can recreate that here in a simulated program yeah and it well, just it questions a lot of things like, for me I mean, Don, you're you're brushing right up against it, so I'm just gonna go there. I'll right? go there. Let's do it. So, <laughs> so, okay. So, first of all, a question on that example. Right? Sure. Where does the information that describes that uh, the thing you were designing? What was it again? Uh, uh, mountain erosion. Um, okay, mountain erosion. Right. Mm -hmm. Where does the information describing that representation of uh, mountain erosion exist? I guess only and, in language that I've read. Uh -huh. And what, what language is, is, does it exist in the context of your computer? Uh, in the context of my computer, it exists as another language in binary eventually. That's right. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> wow. So if you have a language, describe fundamental nature of reality, you can build reality? Well, it, it's, I, 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 I think what you're saying is, is correct. Let me, let, me, let me follow it a, a little bit further with you. Mm -hmm. so, so the information is in binary. And I'm, you know, small, small public service announcement here. I am not a, a scientist. I just play one on TV. So, so I'm going to do my best <laughs> to describe the science. 
Um, uh, but, but, you know, my angle is a, is a little bit more on the philosophy. But the information uh, describing that, that thing lives mm -hmm. in binary in your computer. Right. And what it causes are a whole bunch of electromagnetic uh, exchanges and, and, and circuitry things in the background. Um, but the information it, itself, all of it, um, is, is in your computer. Yes. What it creates is a three-dimensional experience. Yes. We know that things that exist in a very complicated and, and kind of mushed up 2D uh, in place, like in a computer, right? Mm -hmm. That and with a lot of complexity, right? We yeah. know that that can be projected into three-dimensional space. And that is what we call a hologram. So, if you if you if you follow that through, mm -hmm. uh, and it's quite accurate to describe what what you're creating on your computer as holographic. Uh, to your point on how this how this informs our understanding of what's going on in the quote unquote real world. It's also theorized that the two-dimensional information describing our world mm -hmm. actually, you know, or exists in a very distant, very far off, flat, two-dimensional uh, space. Now, this starts to get into a lot of what we've learned from black holes and black hole entropy, and right. you know, a, a whole bunch about about information and you know, when information falls into a black hole, what happens to it. And, and all those things, but but I think that's a pretty pretty good summation of, of where we're at, and I think that's incredibly uh, powerful as as we think about the technologies we're inventing. Hundred percent. I mean, you know, you you put me onto that book um, by uh, Donald Hoffman, um, cool. you know, called about um, you know the argument against reality, why that's evolution right. hid the truth from your eyes. And that was kind of the first time that I, I actually thought about like optics. And it was such a clear example in that book when he explains how everything you've ever seen was basically a two-dimensional projection on the back of your retina that your brain then extrapolated and built the 3D models of. But everything in there was, is, you're being fed two-dimensional data. It's being casted on like a, like, basically like a projector. And most of your vision is actually happening in the brain. It's not, it's not happening at your eye. Your eye just lets light in. But like the seeing part is just this very convoluted procedural neural network process. There you go. So uh, you're right. And that, that book by, by Hoffman is, is really, uh, really awesome, informative. Um, glad you enjoyed it as well. Um, you know, what, what that is, is related to is work uh, done by a uh, neurobiologist um, named Carl Prebrum and, oh. uh, and, and uh, another guy named David Bowen. Bone. Uh, and and they, they did, they ultimately landed on a theory um, uh, 
of a holonomic brain, the holonomic Whoa. brain theory. Never and what's, what they were uh, uh, focused on was understanding consciousness. I mean, it's the big question. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's you know, that, that's what it all boils down to, right? <laughs> yep. And so, and again, I'm going to do my best as a non-scientist here, but um, so if, uh, PSA fact-checked what I'm saying <laughs> you know, uh, for, for your it's listening important. audience. You got yeah. it. I'll, put, I'll keep that note in there. Uh, fact check. Cool. This. Thank you. <laughs> yes, but but I think I think I, I have a pretty good understanding of, of it. So, um, th so the holonomic brain theory, um, essentially, it, I mean, it's what you described that what consciousness is, uh, what the brain it does as uh, is uh, what it's involved in is. Uh, creating a holographic uh, experience of reality um, and doing it through um, a, a, a mechanism in, in physics described as a, a, a Fourier uh, transfer, uh, Fourier transfer. And what that does is it takes in two-dimensional information and converts it to a three-dimensional representation. So the holonomic brain theory basically, you know, again, non-scientist here, but it basically postulates that that's what the brain is doing. It is taking in um, two-dimensional information, uh, and now that begs the question of where that two-dimensional information is coming from, but that's a, a, different, a different conversation, <laughs> right? And then transforming it into, into a three-dimensional holographic uh, representation of the world. But even further to that, that, that thoughts themselves are holographic in nature because right. you know, they're, they're not local. It, we, what we've learned is, is they're not local in, in terms of where they activate in the brain or the, you know, a, a thought about a memory uh, can, can have elements in, in various parts of the brain, not just, not just one. And so that right. non-locality um, clearly indicates to us that there's there's a process going on where disparate parts are being brought together to render a uh, a final product, if you will. A wow, I never even thought about a thought as a as that as like not it's non locality aspect. I've never ever considered that. That's a great insight. Yeah, definitely check out um, Pribram and, and Bone and uh, their holonomic brain theory. It's pretty heady stuff, but... Uh, but I'm but all really, for it, really yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. So um, thank you so much for that. Like, it's super helpful hearing these kind of conversations about, you know, reality and technologies and, and the brain. I'm a big fan of it. Um, but I kind of want to transition a little bit into some other questions that I had for you about the space. Sure. Um, so, well, one thing I was going to ask is, um, how is artificial intelligence a part of augmented reality? Well, it, it is, um, uh, it's not only a part, I, I, I think it, it really is, you know, it is, <laughs> it is, it is it, um, uh, to a large extent, um, and it, you know, I, uh, I, I won't go down the rabbit hole of where, where we, we just left, but, but it's related because mm -hmm. 
you know, what artificial intelligence is, is doing is allowing us, or what it represents is that we are Im imbuing um, uh, uh, sensory experience into, into machines. Um, and so, you know, uh, a camera that can see and understand the world is a camera that, that has been taught to do that uh, by humans, of course, <laughs> um, and, you know, is, is employing very much the same set of processes that we do as a as a human machine if you will mm -hmm. right yeah and and i mean hence of course why why the domain is called artificial intelligence right because it it, it is that uh, representation of of human activity uh through machine and so yes uh i think that 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 then you know takes you right directly to augmented reality's doorstep because you cannot uh render it uh experiences content mm -hmm. uh, into a space unless you understand the space beautifully and, said yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally you can't you can't really render a scene without understanding the space and that understanding is that artificially intelligent like part that's right what advice would you give a recent graduate interested in pursuing a career in the mobile AR ecosystem hmm Awesome. Uh, start making content. Start learning the tools. Um, I I could not be more excited about uh, the diversity of opportunities that will open up in this in this space in the coming years. Um, I, I I think you know it's 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 broadly safe to assume that. Uh, mixed reality, if you will, experiences will be a ubiquitous part of our lives uh, in in the you know relatively uh, near future. And so, uh, preparing for that uh, is 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 really a, a great opportunity. Um, and then have fun along the way. I think that's the other thing that that. Is, is is most important and you you just to quickly um, acknowledge you know that's one of the things that you as a creator um, really uh, showcase is the enjoyment of the creative process using these new tools and you know discovering these new 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 ways to express ideas um, is exciting and you know I, I think that's something that um you know I, I encourage folks just getting started to really really feel and and take take some joy from that's amazing advice to those recent grads because i know that's a lot of the a lot of the age demographic that's going to be listening to this would probably be right in that spot so mm -hmm. that's why it's really helpful hearing it from somebody who's actually in the space who's been who has the experience you know so you know, kind of reiterating. So, start making content. Uh, start start making start making content, and then be excited for all the diversity of opportunities in mixed reality that will probably be ubiquitous in their near futures. That's right. That's precisely it. Are you excited about virtual reality as much as you're excited for augmented reality? Yeah. I mean, uh, 
virtual reality is 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 having a, a really incredible moment um, uh, and um, uh, lar largely uh, uh, through the launch of the the oculus quest I think which was the the first device that uh, being untethered and and such a powerful experience was the first device that uh, feels like for a lot of people really delivered on the the fantasy of of, of what a virtual reality could be. Um, so I I think there's you know and we're seeing just there's so much uh, incredible content being created and and a rich set of experiences that span the spectrum. Uh, you know, from from gaming, of course, but also you know, social and entertainment. So um, there's a lot of of really awesome uh, uh, energy in in the virtual reality space right now, uh, and I'm fortunate to be you know right adjacent to that um, uh, within uh, Facebook Reality Labs, and and so. Um, now that's that's kind of now. I'm also excited about the future of virtual reality because I think, you know, um, tapping on many of the themes we've we've discussed in in this conversation, uh, mm -hmm. you know, there there it will be is clearly an appetite um, to create worlds that are fully immersive, as well as um, blend uh, digital content into our experience with the real world. Both of those things are incredible. They're related, and, and, but mm -hmm. they, they are independently powerful, uh, opportunities for, for humanity. Uh, and so, um, yeah, I'm excited about all of it. Yay. Yeah. I'm, I, I love jumping in VR. It's been a really nice, um, creative tool recently. Like, I mean, I use a lot of, um, it used to be Oculus Medium, but then I think Adobe bought it. So it's now Medium by Adobe um, to do 3D sculpture work and 3D painting. Uh, it's been a wonderful spot. I've actually made filters for Spark AR that I started on the in VR sculpting it. Oh man, that's great! So you can like mix these VR and AR worlds together, and I'm you know I just I'm just so excited for the creative um, potentials that can be done with this. Sure, that's 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 fantastic. Uh, have you done any other VR development though? Yeah, a tiny bit. Um, I mostly I mostly use it for the 3D workflows, so like to to make assets for either you know CGI experiences or AR experiences. Um, but I've finally gotten into Unreal Engine. I, that's like my newest endeavor Great. of learning. And so it is, there's so much stuff you can do with Unreal and it's, it's making, it's mind boggling. It's a lot. So I'm excited by it mostly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I have a lot to learn. For sure. Um, got a couple more questions for you on, uh, you know, in this space. Um, I wanted to ask you, how do you feel about humans relationship to technology? There's a lot to, to, to be said there. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I guess I'll start with so one of my favorite films, um, and I'm sure you know it, um, and, and hopefully your, your listeners will, will seek it out if they don't know it, um, is 2001 A Space Odyssey, mm -hmm. um, Stanley Kubrick's. And uh, 
the book actually another plug for the book the book written by arthur c clark and uh kubrick um is also incredible the story varies slightly in 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 a few different ways mm-hmm. from the film but it's 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 a really 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 awesome book i strongly encourage you you to seek out the the book but anyway the, there's a sequence that i'm sure you you know you're familiar with and it's it's it's, it's uh you know it's a pretty popular uh uh, piece of the film mm-hmm. where you have uh, kind of the f- the front section of the movie uh, is kind of the dawn of of man, if you will, as a as a species, and mm-hmm. uh, kind of takes you through that uh, in in a in a really impactful way. Um, and where it culminates is uh, a, a an early human uh, using. Uh, a weapon to, uh, you know, uh, uh, kill kill prey and 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 uh, commit murder. Mm-hmm. And the weapon happens to be in the scene uh, a bone, um, and you know it's pretty pretty violent graphic uh, uh, mm-hmm. experience. But there's this incredible cut shot where. Uh, the uh, early human takes the bone and like throws it up into the air in this moment of like I don't know like you know revelry at at having you know slain right. this 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 animal and he throws it up in the air and as the bone is spinning it there's a cut shot and it transitions to a spinning. Uh, space station uh, somewhere above the moon or you know and at you know at the same rotation right um and you know that that i think starts to speak to your your question right so what it, what what about humans relationship with technology well it's fundamental it's always been there like you know it's it's you know since we invented it of course mm-hmm. and and I, I believe in many ways the course of history has been a, the story of our coming to terms with the technologies we've invented. And wow. that ha- that's good in many ways. I mean, clearly we invented language and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and obviously and computers and, you know, the railroad and steam engines and, you know, amazing all of these stuff. things. Yeah. Amazing stuff, right? And at the same time, Look at where we are in in many regards, mm-hmm. and th- there there are trade offs. I think is is mm-hmm. is an appropriate way to to think about it, and I feel like that's that that's kind of history, right? It's like we 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 invent new stuff, and uh, you know, history is is about how we use those tools and what they enable us to invent um and, which gets back to this really interesting moment that we're at in history where all of this is happening at such an exponential rate um along with you know profound scientific breakthroughs and all of that so yeah thank you so much yeah it, it's 
It's pretty amazing. I like how you worded of like this relationship, you know, humans relationship with technology has always been there. And I, I, I think 2001 Space Odyssey does a very amazing job at, at explaining that because just, I'm just imagine that visual in my head of, you know, a bone fading into a spaceship and just showing it like early tech to later tech. Um, it's quite beautiful. Um, speaking of beautiful tech, is there any technology that you think people should be excited about? Yeah, um, uh, all of the the immersive technologies. I mean, I, I, again, it's it, it's I'm, that's what you're going to hear from me um, <laughs> because uh, I'm so just so deeply passionate about it. And I would say, you know, I'm I'm using immersive in the broadest sense. Right. Um, all of all of the technologies that enable us to be better connected. Now, my personal uh, feeling on that is better connected as humans. Uh, but all of the technology that enables us to feel better connected um, mm. uh, are, are the things that I'm excited about. Beautiful. Yeah, I'm with you on that as well. I mean, the immersive stuff for me is is the easiest like thing to be excited about because it's just like you know I learned at a I learned at around 18 from a story I told you before that reality is really kind of just it's up for grabs in, in terms of who gets to define it. And so the immersive tech I finally feel is at a spot where people can actually visualize and share what their perceptions of reality are more closely. And yes. you know, it's, I just, I love that aspect of, you know, your perception of reality can be something that I can experience too now. It's not just locked away from our lack of communication, but now I can say this experience, here's my filter. <laughs> this is how yeah. I imagine the same reality. Oh wow, I never thought about, you know, doing that distortion of audio or changing these colors or framing it in this exact way. You know, like kind of to what you wow. were mentioning much earlier about your experience in marketing as like the passive, um, you know, in the, in the past, you had a kind of passive way of explaining what reality is to other people. You'd have to sit down and mm -hmm. watch this show, watch this movie, and then you'll understand our, our singular perception of, of this reality. But when we give that perception control into the hands of the user, they actually get to contribute to the perception of reality and you can share it. You can modify it, you can remix it, and I feel like that's more closely aligned to what reality actually is, is this um, collaborative network of, uh, of conscious entities. That is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. It sure is. Which actually, uh, uh, Don, and it, it, it is, is a little bit of a callback to the, the uh the Hoffman book, right? Because where where he lands ultimately on the question of consciousness um, uh, in questioning, you know, reality is that um, what reality actually is is a network of conscious agents, and you know, all the way down to, you know, the, the smallest and, and lowest dimension, uh, you know, that, that this network is, is what is, um, uh, is bringing reality to life. And, and he calls it a social network of conscious agents, interestingly. <laughs> um, and I will, I will, I'll just kind of leave that there for your readers, um, or your, sorry, your listeners to, uh, to, to follow up on. But, but Donald Hoffman has a lot of really interesting things to, to, to say about, 
uh, the nature of things. By the way, since we're back on on mm -hmm. the topic of of uh, of folks who have done interesting work, I wanted to make sure I know I, I, that it's Carl Pribram and David Boehm. Uh, so yes. Pribram is a neuroscientist, and 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 Bohm is a what was a physicist. So, um, and and they collaborated on this holonomic brain theory. That's a perfect segue because I was going to ask about your favorite books to read about the, you know this future of human mm. expression and connectivity, um, because I feel like the work of those two neuroscientists and the work of uh, Donald Hoffman is very much aligned to your some of your favorite readings. Am I correct? Yeah, you, you sure are. <laughs> Do you have some uh, other books? Some you know other of your favorite books that kind of helped influence and shape your mindset on the world? Yeah. Um, so a, a couple that um, have been. Uh, that I've been with recently. Um, well, one is I, I love uh, Brian Greene. Um, you know, he's, he's a physicist, uh, Columbia, another Columbia guy, um, that um, uh, has written a number of books. The, the most recent one is... Um, Hey, it's Don here. Just wanted to pop in real quick and say I had to uh, re-record a bit of this here. We lost the power right near the end of the recording. So I'm just going to pick up right where we were, but we had to use a different device. It's going to be a lot lower quality. So thanks for sticking around and listening. But uh, yeah, well, let's get right back to it. All right. So one of the questions I think I missed out on was hearing about what kind of book recommendations that you had. And I know you just shared a couple, but maybe could you share those two again? Sure. Uh, uh, I talked about Brian Greene um, and, uh, again, astrophysicist Columbia. Um, his latest, Until the End of Time, uh, subtitle, Mind, Matter, and Our Search for Meaning in an Evolving Universe. Definitely encourage that one. Um, uh, and then the, uh, another is Entangled Minds. Subtitles, Extrasensory Experiences in a Quantum Reality. Uh, and that's Dean Radin, I, I believe is the pr pronunciation. Um, and, uh, and that one is just packed with a lot of um, experimental evidence around um, uh, parapsychological um, uh, experiences. Amazing. I can't wait to read these. Um, and I think the listeners are going to be highly interested in it after hearing this conversation. Um, that's, a, that's great. Awesome. I think one of the things that I, it got cut out with, because um, you just triggered my memory, uh, about how they can observe the double slit experiment at a very, very large oh, yeah. scale. Yeah, so they did this experiment where um, it used the same principles about um, delay, uh, delaying your observation. So it turns out that the light that's bending around, like the photons of light that bend around either side of a black hole can exhibit the same double slit experiment problem. And what happens is if, if we are able to detect where the photon came from, whether it came out of the left side or the right side of the bend, it changes the outcome of how it was um, emitted. And what's really weird about that is these are these are thousands of light years that can change the it can change it. You know what they call that, Don? What do they call that? Time travel. 
Yeah. Wow. You know, it's, it, I mean, that's changing the past from the present, you know? And uh, anyway, yeah. So that's, uh, that's awesome. I, I, I'm going to definitely check out uh, what's, what's been happening there. Um, yeah. You can look up black hole lens distortion of light and uh, uh, double slit experiment black hole. I think you'll be able to find the articles and the research that's been done on it. But the implications are really bizarre because if we can change the outcome of whether that light went on this side or this side and that happened before, like, I mean, we're talking millions yeah. of years ago, we can change the outcome of something that happened in the past. And then that's, and it's just because of the act of observing it is what's changing yes. it. And that's the, you know, that's the kind of goes back to the, the conscious agents being maybe a fundamental aspect of that's nature. Right. You know, if, if, if we have the ability to change the past as, just being a conscious observer, it gives a lot of power, I think, to uh, to uh, to ourselves. That's that's beautiful, Don. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's 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 what you're describing is is why uh, you know I, I and 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 I know you and others get get excited about this stuff is. Um, you know, it, by understanding the universe better, um, it helps us understand ourselves and our place in it better. You know, when you, you know, what's, what's possible or impossible, mm-hmm. uh, and, and you have the opportunity to question it and challenge it. Um, uh, it's, it's just a really, really rich gift. And, um, you know, we're learning a lot on that process. Amazing. Uh, usually the last question I like to ask, and I really like everything you're saying, um, but before we wrap up, I try to ask people how do they define reality, uh, which is probably a really, really big question mm. to end wow. with. Okay. Uh, but maybe, yeah, what, what would you say? How, how do you define reality? Everything changes. Whoa. I like that. And it seems very representative. And I like the thought you put into that too, because those, those two words is like, yeah, it covers a lot. It covers everything. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Don, so, so just one thing I'd like to, to offer uh, before we close up. So earlier I referenced uh, Dogen, uh, the 13th century um, Zen uh, philosopher, teacher, writer. Um, uh, and uh, so the work I quoted where there's this line, um, body and mind dropping away is, is from uh, a, a piece written by him called the Fukanza Zen, Zengi, Fukanza Zengi, um, which, which roughly translated as kind of like in, uh, uh, instruction on practice, if you will. Um, and the, 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 the section that I, I quoted from is actually quite a beautiful little passage. And if it's okay with you, I'd like to uh, read it and, and leave it for your, your listeners. That would be amazing. And I'd be delighted. Okay. You should therefore cease from practice based on intellectual understanding, pursuing words and following after speech and learn the backward step that turns your light inwardly to illuminate yourself. Body and mind of themselves will drop away and your original face 
will be manifest. If you want to attain suchness, you should practice suchness without delay. Wow. That's a really profound uh, understanding of like, like instruction on how to kind of how to exist and, and know yourself mm-hmm. better and more deeply by looking in, looking inward. Yeah. He was, he is a great, great one. Um, I appreciate the time, Don. You're, you're such, uh, an incredible, uh, member of the creative community. And, uh, I, I'm so grateful for all the work that you, uh, have done to, grow awareness and, and understanding and, and, and experience with, uh, with immersive technology and, and mixed realities. And, uh, of course I'm particularly grateful for the, the work that you've done with Spark AR and, um, uh, and, and all that you bring to, to our community. Uh, so thank you. Thank you so much for, for being here and those were really kind words. And I'm so happy that you, I could have you as a guest here and help people get a better understanding of, you know, the, the individuals that help influence this new future world that we're all, you know, accelerating into. And, um, I, I love learning everything about you. It's so cool. And every book that you ever recommended has been like a fascinating read. So, you know, thank you for all your insight and your experience that you could bring to this conversation.